0: Hi, it's Allegra with A Dose of Modern Life, healthier, easier, more fun, and I am really punchy today, so get ready. On today's show, I'm going to talk about growth mindset, what it is, how you can utilize it, and how it can help make your life happier, and who doesn't want more of that? Then we're going to have a friendly chat with my friend, Christine Keegan, who if you've heard her on the show before, you know that she is the quote unquote most diplomatic person in the world. Well, she's going to help me think about how to have challenging conversations with our loved ones around the issues of aging and end of life. Not fun stuff to talk about, but important stuff to talk about. And she has some great tips. Then I'm going to give you a fun, easy tip on how to use up all of those beautiful stone fruit that are in the grocery store right now. I don't know if you're like me, but when I start seeing peaches, nectarines, and plums, I always buy too many and this is a great way to use them up before they go bad. All this and more after this brief musical interlude. See you after the tunes. We're back and now for growth mindset. When I was a kid, I developed a bad habit of only being interested in things that I was good at immediately. If I was good at something, I kept doing it like singing. If I was bad at something, I stopped doing it immediately. And now I can't even remember what those things I was bad at because I just wiped them out of my mind. Now one thing that I had always been good at was math. I was always really good at math and I loved math and I took every math course until algebra two. When I got into algebra two, I felt like I was learning a new language. I got the only Ds I've ever received in my entire academic career in Algebra two. And my parents hired a tutor for me, a friend of mine, she tutored me, and I remember just feeling like I was hitting my head up against the wall. But we kept at it because I I had to get through to Algebra two. There was no choice. We kept at it, we kept at it, we kept at it. And I remember one day, and it's clear as day, I was sitting in her dining room. We were sitting at her dining room table in Eagle Rock. It was an oval shaped table, wooden spindle chairs, blonde wood. We were sitting there and she said something and for some reason it hit me differently. She probably said it many times to me but this time tumblers clicked into place in my brain and suddenly I spoke Algebra too. I mean literally it just clicked. But I had to put in all of those hours of work before I got to that point. And then from then on, it was A's, 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 A's. Now, this was something I figured out on my own. I figured, oh, so I can be good at something, and if I put in enough time, eventually I will get better. Maybe I won't become great, but I will become better. And that lesson has helped me a lot in my life because I've tried other challenging things. For instance, I once did stand-up comedy and I sucked when I started. And by the time I finished this one class that I did, I did a five minute set at the Improv on Melrose, and I killed. But it took me time to get there. and But those lessons really were great lessons for me to learn because it made me learn, realize that I could become good at anything if I put in the time. So I learned this lesson already, but I didn't have any verbiage around it. And sometimes it can just be helpful to have verbiage to talk about something and to think about something and I maybe about a year ago became aware of the fact that there is language surrounding this idea and it is called growth mindset and if you go to my website com slash podcast you can look up the podcast this is podcast number 18 and you'll see I'll have all these links that I'm going to talk about on that website so there's one researcher in particular named Carol Dweck who stands out when it comes to growth mindset and the way that she and her researchers describe growth mindset is that basically there are two types of mindset, growth mindset and fixed mindset. And growth mindset believes that I can learn and become good at anything, whereas a fixed mindset believes that whatever ability I have, I was born with and it can't be changed right? So the first mindset, growth mindset, believes that you can become better with practice and the fixed mindset believes there's no getting better. If you're not great at it out of the gate, then you'll never be great at it. And so that was what I struggled with, you know, prior to my Algebra 2 epiphany. So what her research has shown is that growth mindset people are people who believe that they're always getting smarter and that they're getting smarter through effort, and through trial and error. And that mistakes are simply part of the learning process. And one of the things that she recommends is that when you are giving feedback to people, this, these could be people that you supervise or it could be loved ones in your life. You want to praise them for their effort and praise them for their persistence. Don't praise them for the outcome because if if something's new to them and they're not great at it, And you say, oh, well, you know, maybe you're not great at that. Try something else. Obviously, that's fixed mindset. If you want to be growth mindset oriented, if they do something and they're not so great at it, say, you know what? I can really see that you've been putting in the time to work on this and I know you're going to get it and you're going to improve. You just got to keep at it. And this is actually something that I've been telling my child for years. My child is eight and I have literally been telling her this since... (laughs) <laughs> since she was born and because I was so aware of the fact that I had given up on things that I wasn't immediately good at I have been telling her ever since she was born that she could become great at anything if she just practices and you know I'm kind of annoying about it actually because now you know when she's working on something and she gets frustrated I say to her how do you become good at anything and then she says practice <laughs> and it's one of these daily mantras that we say daily. Now there's some other people who also talk about this idea of growth mindset, they might not use that exact term growth mindset but one of them is John Maxwell, the leadership expert and he has a saying that says if you want to change your life you have to change something that you do daily and I really do believe in the importance of daily or almost daily practice if you want to become really proficient at something especially if it's something that is challenging, something that requires, you know, a lot of different areas of your brain. For instance, something like public speaking. Public speaking, you know, you have to use your body language, you have to use memory, you have to be able to have the mental space to look at your audience and read your audience while you are memorizing what you're going to say. There's a lot of different components to public speaking. And so you really need to practice it on a daily or quote unquote almost daily. I would say, you know, four or five times a week is great. So anything that's complicated or that you just want to become really great at really fast, you know, playing a musical instrument, learning a language, you need to do daily. And with my child, she's been doing piano for a very long time. I ask her to do 10 to 15 minutes of piano every day or every other day rather than an hour once or twice a week. And I find that she really retains a lot more of her piano and she's getting better by doing that, so that's one thing. In order to fuel your growth mindset and move quickly, you really wanna practice regularly. The second thing is there's this book called The Adventures of Johnny Bunko, and again, this will all be on my website, and it's a really interesting book. It is called, the subtitle is something like the only career advice book you'll ever need, and while it is sort of related to career advice, I think it is very related to this whole idea of growth mindset. And one of the, I think they have six tips in this book. And one of the tips, by the way, this book, you can read it in one sitting. You could easily read it in 30 to 60 minutes because it's a book that is done in the manga style. So the Japanese comic book style, but it's it's a serious book. It's not a quote unquote comic book <laughs> per se, but there's six tips in that book. And one of the tips is that persistence always will Persevere, persistence will always beat out talent and what they basically say in the book is you take two people who are you know one is wildly talented but has no persistence and the other one is interested in something and persistent that over time that persistence and that interest in something will always trump just pure talent and I know I've seen this in myself, I've seen this in people I know. I think we've all seen this in quote unquote famous people where they might not be very good, you know, singers, actors, whatever, but they are persistent. They are out there. They are constantly putting out product and pushing themselves and that's why they're successful. Same thing. If there's, if you love the drums but you're not very good, if you put in the time and you take lessons and you persevere You can become great, and that is what growth mindset is all about. So how can growth mindset make you generally happier? Well, I believe that if you look at life as an opportunity to become your best self, then difficulties that you face will just become challenges for learning rather than obstacles to overcome. So I'm just going to say that again because I know that's a lot in one statement. If you look at life as an opportunity to become your best self, then difficulties will just be challenges for learning rather than obstacles to overcome. You know, a lot of religions or life philosophies or whatever say something to this effect, which is that really it's just how you look at things that will determine whether or not you're happy. If you look at something as a challenge rather than an obstacle, that's going to affect how you feel about it. So that's, what I, that's why I believe growth happiness can really help you not just be better but also be happier. So that's my little thing on growth mindset. You can go to my website to get all links to all the things I talked about. But as I said, growth mindset believes that you can become better at anything and other studies have shown that it's all about practice and persistence And that the brain can grow through concerted effort, and that you can become the person that you want to be. Coming up next, my chat with Christine Keegan about how to have those challenging conversations surrounding aging and end of life issues. After the tunes. Hi, world. I'm here with my friend Christine Keegan, who, if you've been following the podcast, you know that. She has a long history in corporate HR and is the most diplomatic person that I know. Hey, Chris. Hi, how are you? Good to be back. Great to have you. So about a year ago, Christine and her family moved from California to Texas. And so my first question is just now that it's been a year, what do you think?
1: Well, I have to say that I'm really happy that we made the move. You know, I definitely miss family, uh, my parents, brother and sister who are back in Los Angeles. But like we've talked about on, you know, previous podcasts, it, it's a nice lifestyle change. I think being here and being able to afford a home on one income is pretty amazing. That's just something that's very hard to do in Los Angeles. And also, I think just the pace, you know, we're, again, in a suburb of Dallas. And it's, it's great being able to go anywhere and not have to drive more than five minutes, whether that's the grocery store, the bank, the gym, a bar. Um, so it's been a really great move for us.
0: So when you say you're driving for five minutes, because, you know, for those of us in LA, that it sounds impossible. Right. (laughs) Is it because there's no traffic or because everything's just super close together?
1: There's, I would say, I mean, traffic is definitely something that I think that a lot of Frisco residents are being concerned with because there's tremendous growth here. But it's little traffic compared to Los Angeles. And then also, right, right, proximity uh there i think the way that they've planned out a lot of communities in frisco is the idea of not having to be in your car for too long and being able to get to a gym and to a grocery store and to the bank uh so i think it's just part of the planning out here is how how do they make it so families feel they can get to a community pool uh very easy get to a park get to a splash pad And that's just something that that we've really appreciated uh, about the suburbs of Dallas.
0: Is there anything you wish you had known that you could share with people to help make it easier for them if they were to undertake a move like you? Well, you
1: know, something that I would definitely share with listeners that I guess I just I didn't have to think about because, again, two good families that we're friends with uh, also came out here. And that, you know, that was another part of why we made the move. So I did have some built in uh, friendships and, and community. But what I've noticed on a lot of the mom groups are people who did not have that luxury of knowing anybody when they made a move. And what I've been seeing is a lot of moms who have joined these groups. So for instance, there's one called Frisco Moms Group. And what I've noticed in a lot of the new posts are people who are saying, hey, I'm from Georgia, or I'm from St. Louis, or I'm from Los Angeles, and I'll be moving to Frisco in a month or two. And they're sharing personal information about, Mm -hmm. I I stay home, or I'm looking for a gym, or I'm looking for a mom's day out, which is essentially kind of like a drop-off daycare. And they're setting up a lot of what they know they're gonna need to tap into before they get here. And I thought that was really neat. I think that if we ever are in a situation where I'm going to move somewhere where I don't know people, um, I definitely would take advantage of those online communities where other people are gonna share. Like, You have to check out this neighborhood or you have to check out this school district or you know, this, um, gym is really great. Mm -hmm. So I definitely think that, you know, if you've got a listener that's thinking about moving to an area where they don't know people, um, tap into that resource because you'd be amazed at how many people want to share all of the hidden gems because they didn't know about it until someone shared it with them. And it's a great way, I think, to feel like you've got some connections when you're starting out somewhere new.
0: And those online resources nowadays are so abundant. And the funny thing is, you know, those of us who are Gen X and older, we don't necessarily always think to go online as our first resource. We might, you know, yeah, right? reach out to someone that we know in the area and ask them, but there are... <laughs> Sure. <laughs> it's very true. But there are so many online resources. So that's great. So, okay. So before I hit record, you and I were talking about what I was doing this week, which is I was helping my father pack up his office. He finally decided to retire after about 60 wow. years. Impressive. Yeah. yeah. 60 years in practice. And so I was helping him pack up and you and I were talking about ways to have conversations with aging parents because you know you are the most diplomatic person I know (laughs) so I'd like to get your thoughts on having those hard conversations about things such as aging and end of life and and that period between end of life and Mm -hmm. when you are not able to maybe live independently any longer because we are living longer which is wonderful but not all of us are able to be independent.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Well, and I I appreciate that you differentiate between end of life and what you refer to as the period in between, because it's something that you know being in human resources and responsible for benefits at various uh, companies. One of the things that I learned about very early on is something called long-term care, mm-hmm. and that's that period in between where we think about uh, what happens if a loved one becomes seriously ill, terminally ill, or incapacitated, um, and is still living. And so, when I think about having a conversation with our loved one or with our our parents, aging parents. I really think it's important for listeners to carve those two things out. So again, what I refer to as long-term care, should someone become terminally ill or incapacitated, and then end of life, what happens when we die. And besides having those two kinds of conversations, it's really going to be important for listeners to then think about the follow-up. So once you have the conversations, once you have the agreements, the next step, the most important step, either engaging an attorney or going to an online resource like a to actually have the legal documents in place so mm-hmm. you know that your loved one's wishes are actually going to be fulfilled. So I can uh, talk a little bit about... Um, how to have the conversation, and I thought maybe just before that, I would talk a little bit briefly about why to have them. And I think one obvious reason is that, look, emotionally, if a parent, if a loved one becomes terminally ill or incapacitated uh, or dies, the last thing that you want is to be in a position where you just don't know what to do. So it's really important to think about having that conversation today. Because even if someone does become ill and the conversation is forced, um, obviously that's a really difficult time to be talking about this.
0: And I know families that have been, unfortunately, torn apart when conversations are had while someone is dying in the hospital and no one can agree on what the right outcome should be. And it's not a good time to be having the conversation. And then it's just decades of animosity. Absolutely. It's...
1: It's very painful. You know, look, we're very vulnerable, um, when we're sick, as are those around us. So it's, it's going to be a very rough time to have the conversation. I think the other reason it's important to have it, which a lot of people don't always consider, is that there's legal reasons. So depending, uh, for instance, on your marital status or what state you live in, Um, somebody else might legally be in a position to be making those decisions for you. For instance, if an aging parent were to get remarried. Um, So it's really important to be thinking about having these conversations and then again, making sure that you have the legal documents in place to make sure your loved one's wishes are fulfilled. And Allegra, as you probably know, if your parent doesn't have a will in place, then by law, the estate's divided in probate court. And that's where a judge is deciding who gets what assets, even if a conversation took place. So let's move toward how do you have the conversation? Now, again, I think of long-term care or what happens if you're terminally ill or incapacitated is different than what happens for if you were to die. And I think that it's important to think about having these conversations at separate times because they're very they're very heavy things to think about. There's a there's a really amazing website that I found called theconversationproject.org. And again, that's theconversationproject.org. And it's a resource that literally walks you through how to have a really difficult conversation. So some of the you know, couple examples I'll share, but again, I'd encourage your listeners to go to the site, are things like, I was thinking about what happened to so-and-so, and it made me realize we've never talked about this, right, dot, dot, dot. Or I just answered some questions about how I want to be treated. Should I become ill, or what kinds of arrangements I'd want when I die? And I want to share my answers with you. And I'm wondering what your answers would be. I thought that was a really um, great way to have the conversation. And the mm-hmm. last example I'll share, just because it it resonated with me, I, I think it's a very honest way to bring up the conversation, is to say. I'm scared. We've never talked about this. And I'm unsure of what to do if something were to happen to you. Right? That's a that's a very honest way to reflect our own need to understand how best to support those we love. So again, um, the conversation project literally gives you a roadmap on what to ask, you know, why you're asking it. And then again, more importantly, how to help our loved ones with legal documents, you know, whether that's a healthcare proxy or advanced directive or your last will and testament.
0: Oh, that's great. I I love those options. And I will put that link on my rundown for today's podcast at AllegraRamos.com slash podcast. And, you know, just to share a couple thoughts, I have my grandmother, who is a little over 90. You know, she's just one of those people who's really upfront about death. She's always starting conversations. Well, you know, when I die, blah, blah, blah. Good for her. Yeah, just really upfront. And she did something that I thought was really brilliant, which is that she had us all walk around the house and pick the things that we would want should she pass. And what she asked us to do was to put a post-it note with our name on the bottom just so that it was really clear Who was going to get this item? And the interesting thing about it was that there was almost zero overlap. And in the rare case when two people had both put their names on something, there was a quick discussion. You take that. I'll take that. Okay, great. No problem. Interesting.
1: Yeah, it was really nice. Right. Interesting.
0: It it was just, it was up front and no surprises. And then on the other side of the spectrum, the family that I mentioned earlier, who has really been ripped apart because of a lack of transparency, you know, having seen the two sides of the spectrum from my grandmother very transparent to this other example, it just makes me so certain that I just want to err on the side of transparency and communication.
1: Yes. And look, I think that ultimately, if we can appeal to what matters to the person that we're speaking with, um, then I think that's how you can have a meaningful conversation. So, you know, again, like, if your mom has a house and two cats, you can start the conversation about whether she's considered who would take care of her cats, mm-hmm. right? Should something happen yeah. to her? Mm-hmm. And and this can then allow you to move into other areas of what to include in a will. And again, focus on why having a legal document in place is so critical because it's how we honor our loved one's wishes. So no matter how many times you talk about it, that legal document is going to absolutely be critical because that's how we ensure that what our loved one wants actually takes place.
0: See, this is why I have you on the show. I love how you say that. Thank you so much. Of course. And great catching up with you as always. It's great talking with you. And I can certainly, if any of your listeners have any
1: questions, you know, I can certainly follow up.
0: And to find out more about Christine's background and the kind of questions she likes to answer, visit my website at AllegraRamos.com slash podcast. That's A-L-E-G-R-E-R-A-M-O-S slash podcast. And you can also write in a question to hello at AllegraRamos.com or you can download the free Anchor FM app and do a call-in, which I can play on the air, which is always really fun. And I will also have links to all the things that Christine mentioned on the podcast. Thanks again. Talk to you soon. Okay, thank you. Coming up next, my tip for how to use up those delicious stone fruit. After the tunes. Stone fruit. I always get excited when summer comes because I just love stone fruit so much, especially peaches. Peaches are my absolute favorite and I like to eat them with whipped cream. That's fresh whipped cream, real whipped cream, not sugary stuff, not in the can. Fresh whipped cream with nothing added to it and peaches is my favorite. And I don't put my peaches or any of my stone fruit into the fridge because I don't like how it affects the flavor. I feel like they just don't taste as good, especially peaches. Maybe cherries, not so bad, but peaches do not taste the same if you put them in the fridge. So they sit on my counter, and if I buy too many, or if I don't eat them fast enough, or if it's super hot like it is right now, <laughs> I don't know where, how it is where you are, but it is really hot in Southern California, then the peaches can start to go bad on my counter. So I came up, you know, stone fruit season is so short, so I don't want to waste any peaches. So I came up with an easy way to use them up as they're starting to go bad. In fact, I kind of look forward to them going bad because it's so delicious doing this. What I do is I buy puff pastry squares. You can get them at any grocery store. Um, I like getting the ones at Middle Eastern markets because I feel like I don't want it as laminated. Lamination is the term for when you put layers of butter and you create layers of pastry i don't like them as laminated as say phyllo dough i don't want it to be phyllo dough i want it to be more like croissant dough so i buy these squares of puff pastry and they're usually in the frozen section and i leave i actually leave them in the freezer and then i just pull them out as i need them sometimes i'll cut them down so i might cut them down into fours to make them super small And then all I do is I put a slice of stone fruit on it, usually like a fourth to a half of a peach, and I will sprinkle a little bit of sucanat on it. Sukanat is basically just dehydrated cane juice. It is if you find a good sucanat, sucanat is the best tasting sugar ever, and it really does. The brands. It changes a lot, the variety between the different brands changes a lot, so you have to experiment, but it has the best caramel flavor, and I just sprinkle a teeny tiny bit on the peach to give it a little bit of crunch and a little bit of caramelization. You could also use honey, and then I bake it until the puff pastry is done. It takes about 12 minutes, 12, 15 minutes, and it is so good and so satisfying, and best of all, I didn't waste my stone fruit, which makes me super happy. So thanks for tuning in today. If you thought the show was fun or useful, please let me know by sending me a tip through Patreon at That's patreon.com slash Allegra Ramos. That's patreo ncom And leave me a message on iTunes or wherever you subscribe. It means so much to me to know what you think. I also have great thank you gifts at Patreon for my supporters and look forward to when I have 500 patrons and I can hire an editor to provide you with even more great content. And if you have a growth mindset, you should definitely check out my cooking webinars. I have a free one at alegvaramos.teachable.com. That's T-E-A-C-H-A-B-L-E.com. And you can grow your mind around cooking. Anyone can become a better cook. And did you know that cooking is highly correlated with increased creativity and decreased stress? Yep, both good things, right? Subscribe to my podcast wherever you listen. And if you'd like to submit questions... You can email me at hello at com or download the free Anchor FM app and call into my show so I can play your question on the air. I'll see you next time for another dose of Modern Life, healthier, easier, more fun. We have some fun guests coming up. I'm not sure who's next. I haven't decided yet, but we have a wonderful documentarian that will be featured in an upcoming interview. And then we also have a comedian slash educator around women's sexual health. Her name is Madge the Badge, and I know you're going to love her. So see you next time on my podcast. Over and out. Be a spark in the world.